Tiki Hut Media. From Manatee Life Church, a multicultural United Methodist community of faith in Bradenton, Florida, this is Soul Ramblings Podcast. I'm Jerry Wicker, the lead minister at Manatee Life Church, and on today's episode, we'll head over to the sanctuary for the next in our series on the Apostles' Creed, Truths That Unite, and we're looking at Jesus again. This time, Jesus' death, and that may sound like a, a downer, something not very encouraging with Jesus' death, but there is hope. There is hope. So stick around. We'll head over to the sanctuary and talk about that hope even in Jesus' death and in, in him leaving the disciples physically, but coming back. We'll talk more about that coming up here in the next few minutes. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus, that you all be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind with the same purpose. In other words, He's saying, for the love of everything holy, please stop arguing and start getting along with each other. And it's notable that since the very beginning of the church, we've been in conflict. The book of Acts is filled with one story after another of the church being churchy with their disagreements. All of Paul's letters in some way, shape, or form beg us to start acting like the body of Christ into which we were baptized. And yet, the church comes by it honest. For starters, the church is filled with people like us, a bunch of no-good, dirty, rotten scoundrels, even if we don't want to admit it, who seem to love arguing with one another. Jesus' mission and ministry in the world was filled with conflict with the Pharisees, the religious elites, and even the disciples. If there's one thing we can count on in the church, it's conflict. But more importantly, it seems arguments and conflict are actually what make the church the church. No church has ever found a way to follow the crucified Jesus free of friction. And yet, friction is often what leads to transformation. The friction and conflict we are experiencing within the worldwide church today are much like the friction and conflict experienced by the early church in Acts 15. The early church struggled with the rapid rise of Gentiles in their midst and had to figure out how expansive God's kingdom really was. And at the so-called Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, the church formally stated that Christ's salvation went beyond the bounds of Judaism. Therefore, matters of religious law, such as circumcision, Sabbath observance, and dietary restrictions were no longer required for those who followed Jesus. Today, Jesus still refuses to leave us to our own devices and thoughts and even dreams about who the church is for. Jesus delights in sending people into our lives that we would never have picked on our own. And then, because he has a sense of humor, Jesus will see fit to make sure we read some of his words in church like, love your enemies. We know that Jesus is at the center of what we call the kingdom of God, but we cannot know the width of the kingdom. In other words, we can't decide who Jesus is for. God's grace is ever-expanding and never-ending. Remember, Jesus commands us to go to the ends of the earth, proclaiming the good news. And as such, we can expect arguments, differences, and even divisions to sprout up again and again. 
Perhaps that's why God keeps inviting us back to the table, forgiving us for our mistakes and shortcomings, and offering the body and the blood that makes all of this possible in the first place. It's not easy being the church, but nothing important ever is. Let's head over to the sanctuary. This morning, we're reading a scripture passage from John's Gospel in the 14th chapter. And the amazing thing about this passage of scripture is Jesus' promise. If if you could ask Jesus for anything, for anything, what would you ask him for? Cure cancer. Yeah. We all have needs and concerns. It's the reason we pray, right? We have needs and concerns that we take to Jesus each and every day. The thing is, Jesus, he's going to leave in this passage. He knows he's about to leave. He knows what that means. He knows what he's about to go through. And he's trying to explain to his disciples. And his disciples are, I've been with you for three years. What are you doing? What do you mean you're not going to be here? He's the, he's, and rightfully so, he's the hope that they have. And now you're going to leave? You're telling us you're going to leave? What? What? But Jesus makes a promise, knowing their fearful, doubtful hearts. He makes them a promise. I'll always be with you. You won't see me, but I'll always be with you. And I'm going to send an advocate, the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great news? We're never alone. Even when we feel alone, we're never alone. Jesus is always with us. Holy Spirit lives within us. Isn't that great news? Scripture reading for the morning is from John's Gospel, the 14th chapter, starting with the 15th verse. Hear these holy words. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. O Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your Word for us this day and work your will in our lives. Amen. We are continuing this morning with our series, Apostles' Creed, Truths That Unite. And in this series, 
we are looking at the central truths that are in the Apostles' Creed, which we began reciting as part of our corporate worship every week starting back on January 1, New Year's Day. The first week we looked at, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Last week we looked at, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. During the weeks of Advent and Christmas, we looked at what it meant for Jesus to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. This week, we look at the next line of believing that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. And there's some sobering language there, very sobering language, all connected to how Jesus died. Suffer, crucified, dead, buried. Hmm. The first major point when we hear that is that we are remembering that, first of all, his suffering was real. His suffering was real. The creed affirms how Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. He is the one who was serving as Roman governor in Judea at the time of Jesus. The one who was forced to decide Jesus' earthly fate. I've often wondered why the creed mentions Pilate. I mean, it doesn't mention any other names other than Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus himself. And then there's Pilate. Pilate is the only other person named in the creed. I believe... It's probably the creed's way of reminding us that the Jesus we're talking about here really lived in history. That his suffering took place in a real moment in time and and space. When Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea, and that historically specific seven or eight year time span, He had been appointed by Caesar in Rome to control his interests in the land of Palestine. It was then that our Lord and Savior died. The Roman Empire was at the center of the Western world at that time. They really did rule over the Jewish nation, and they really did use a form of execution to show who was in control, which was crucifixion. And they used... They really did use crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. The point is this. It really happened. This is history. It's not a myth. It's not a saga. It's it's not a parable. It's not an illustration. It's fact. It's history. It really did happen. Also, when we say we believe that he suffered, died, and was buried, we're saying not only that his suffering was real, We're saying, second of all, his suffering was for us. His suffering was for us. The meaning of Jesus' existence as a whole is expressed in his dying for us. Paul, just read the letters of Paul in the New Testament, and we find several expressions like these in the book of Romans. He said, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Also in Romans, Christ died for us. In 1 Corinthians, Christ died for our sins. In 2 Corinthians, for our sake, he became sin. In Ephesians, Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And in Galatians, Christ became a curse for us. His suffering was for us. No one understood this more clearly than Jesus himself. When we observe Holy Communion here in a few minutes, we will hear his words. This is my body, which is given for you. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus, by the way, was not being taken by the world because it was powerful. No, rather, he was giving himself because the world is powerless against the kingdom of God. This leads to the final implication in these truths, and that's this. His suffering calls us to follow. His suffering calls us to follow. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, If any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It's important to realize that we cannot fulfill the unique suffering and death which Jesus had to fulfill. It's important to understand that the death of Jesus was the only death that could pay the debts we could not pay. His death was once and for all. The point is that his suffering and death flowed from his living in this world, but submitted to God. And that is what he's calling us to do. This is why he refers to it as taking up our own cross daily. Our call is not to simply accept him as Savior and then stay enslaved to the powers of this world, but rather to be united with him. Instead of defying God to serve this world, we are called to defy this world and serve God. In the gospel lesson for this morning from John, Jesus, knowing that he will soon leave this world and return to the Father, he gathers his best buddies, the apostles. He gathers them together and gives them some important instructions before he leaves. Now, again, as I said a little bit ago, listening to him talk about leaving his departure, the apostles, I can imagine, are worried, they're fearful, because Jesus had become their hope, rightfully so. How could they possibly face tomorrow? How can they face this world, this terribly messed up, difficult world, without their hope, without Jesus? I mean, all of us need something we can hang on to. Some glimmer of hope that things will get better. Some hope for a better life, or that there is some meaning to this existence here. By nature, we are energized by hope. There is much power in hope. We all need hope. It's as simple as that. So, in this 14th chapter of John, 
Jesus, realizing the doubt of the apostles, realizing that they're, they're afraid, responds by telling them they will never be far from God. God will never abandon them. First, Jesus promises that he'll send the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about the Holy Spirit, by the way, parenthetically, in two weeks. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that. But the Holy Spirit, who will serve as their guide and counselor, the Holy Spirit will live with them and in them. And then next, Jesus reassures his friends that they will not be left like orphans. They will not be alone. And then Jesus says something which is very encouraging, awe-inspiring, something that is very helpful indeed. Jesus says this, Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you you'll realize that Jesus is the Father and we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us. In other words, you cannot detach yourselves from me. We are all intertwined together. I'll never leave you. You will never be without me. Do not lose hope. Dear friends, do you know that the Holy Spirit dwells within you? Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus is in the Father, that you are in Christ, and that Christ is in you? If you know that, in the deepest recesses of your soul, then you have hope. We all need hope to survive. There was a painting I saw on this this article I was reading, and there was a painting hanging at an art gallery, and it's a picture of just a chimney just a chimney, out in the middle of no man's land. Not a lot around. But there's just a chimney. And around it, burned remains of what used to be a house. Still smoldering. Fire had destroyed everything. There's also a grandfatherly looking figure in nothing but his long johns holding the hand of a little boy, probably five, six years old, with tears streaming down his face and holding a teddy bear. And the old man is looking down at the little boy. And underneath, the artist wrote this inscription. They were simple words, yet they presented a profound philosophy of life because the artist was trying to portray what he felt the old man was speaking to the boy in that moment. And those words were this. Hush, child. God ain't dead. Hush, child. God ain't dead. Instead of that picture being a reminder of the despair in life, it is a reminder of hope. It is a reminder of hope. Make no mistake. Jesus' death was no sham. It wasn't some kind of play acting. Jesus Christ really and truly experienced death and then rose again. And he did all this in the name of love. The love that God has for his poor, lost, confused, two-legged creatures. 
We have a God who went through the entire human experience of birth and life and death in order to save us, to save the lost. Jesus Christ completely identified with our human condition, even to the point of experiencing death. God has come down to earth in human form. He lived, he died, he rose again in order to reclaim his most valuable possession, you and me. And for God, when any one of us repent and believe the gospel, it feels like the discovery of a lifetime. God's grace is shockingly personal. Shockingly personal. He knows everything about you. Theologian Henry Nguyen pointed out, God rejoices not because the problems of the world have been solved, not because all human pain and suffering have come to an end. No, God rejoices because one of his children who was lost has been found. Wherever people are, Jesus Christ has the will, the love, and the power to save. With God, no one is outside the loop. It is not God's will that any of us should perish. Jesus is in the Father. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. May we share that hope. And finally, I want to invite us to receive these elements we refer to as Holy Communion. They are such a striking reminder in themselves that Jesus himself said that of all the things he wanted us to unite in remembering most often, it was his death for us. In receiving these elements, we're reminded that his suffering was real and fitting to remember in these physical elements, and that his suffering was for us. And we now remember his words, that this represents his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. We see you, Lord, see you in your suffering, that you were bearing our sins and our sorrows. Forgive us. We receive your righteousness, and we believe in Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Lord, who lived and sacrificed his life to save ours, and in whose name we pray. Amen. And now, go forth in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you. Have a great week. Walk with Jesus Christ. And tell somebody about Manatee Life Church. Go in peace. Amen. Be sure to join us next week when we continue our series on the Apostles' Creed, Truths That Unite. And you can join us each and every Sunday morning live stream at Manatee Life Church, a multicultural United Methodist community of faith in Bradenton, Florida. You can join us online, manatee-life.church. Link in the show notes of this episode. 1030 Eastern is when those services began on Sunday morning. And as we wrap up today, normally I wrap up with the scripture, my favorite scripture, Philippians 4.8. I'll read it from the New Revised Standard Version today. 
Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Some days everything seems wrong and everywhere I go um, appears dismal. I notice dirt on the floor, smudges on the window panes, a new gray hair. Those are increasing every day and an endless list of stressors. While driving, traffic lights take too long to change, drivers are aggressive, and I have to avoid potholes. When I meditate on Philippians 4.8, I realize that the real problem may be my focus. If I focus on what's wrong, that's what I'm going to see. But if I focus on what is lovely, pure, and just, that's what I'll find. The world is full of both good and bad. And God tells us to meditate and fill our hearts and minds with the good. In this way, we can exhibit the peace that draws others to Christ. When we change our focus, we are sure to find God in every part of creation. When I notice the amazing aroma of coffee, the birds singing outside my window, or the stunning colors of a sunrise or a sunset, my problems tend to fade into the background. When my day is interrupted, I can pause to enjoy just a few deep breaths and remind myself of my blessings. May we focus on what is lovely, pure, and just as we observe the world around us today. God, help us to shift our focus away from what is stressful to see what is lovely in the world you have created. Amen. Be sure to join us next week for Soul Ramblings Podcast. I want to thank you for the gift and privilege of your time today, spending your time with us today. Whether you're listening on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, there's just so many, Apple Podcasts, we've got so many places you can listen wherever you're listening today. If you would go there and click subscribe right now, you'll never miss a new episode of Soul Ramblings Podcast and would really appreciate you doing so. And here is a last piece of advice, what we were just talking about, Philippians 4, 8. A last piece of advice. This is from the Phillips translation of the New Testament. If you believe in goodness and if you value the approval of God, fix your minds on whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and praiseworthy. From Manatee Life Church in Bradenton, Florida, I'm Jerry Wicker. Thank you for listening to Soul Ramblings Podcast. See you next week. Grace and peace. peace. Thanks for listening to Soul Ramblings with Jerry Wicker. Download new episodes every week. And if you haven't already, subscribe and be sure to leave us a rating and review. Soul Ramblings is a Tiki Hut Media production. Mm -hmm.